Good morning and welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. It's been a while since it's been just me and Jamie without another special guest, but sure enough, it's just us two. Just us today. Yeah. (laughs) And you, our lovely listeners. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm actually really looking forward to just chatting about whatever comes up today. We have a general plan, but I suspect other things will come up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We've had a great week together. We've gotten to welcome in a, a couple of little people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, some not so little, some were a little littler. <laughs> <laughs> Range of sizes came in. Yep. And 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 yep, we have brothers and sisters and all kinds of good things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as I was pondering last night about what we should talk about, I've got this whiteboard full of random topics, but I was like, which one seems relevant or which one you know, am I really feeling? And the ones that kept popping out were pushing the fetal ejection reflex and placenta births, because that's, you know, the next stage after pushing. And I think neither of those really get all that much attention. I mean, they do, but I think they can certainly get a little more. Um, So we're going to go down that rabbit hole today. Yeah, even thinking about, um, yeah, intuitive things around that, um, mothers and their responses and listening to them. So, and how that can change the way the pushing phase can look and um, placental birth. Yeah, I think, you know, the mainstream narrative that people, I mean, myself included for a long time of what we know about birth to be is what we see in the movies, right? Because we just tend to not have as much exposure to birth like one-on-one with our friends and our sisters growing up like the village style. So you see it in the movies and it's like the pickle jar cracks open and it like floods the whole house, right? That's the water breaking. And this is like super dramatic. Right. Yeah. Somehow the strongest <laughs> contractions hit right away because that's totally how it starts. And then right the next it's like cut next scene. Everyone's yelling at her. Push, push. She's all sweaty and like holding her breath really hard. Her eyeballs are going to pop out of her face and all her veins. All her veins. Totally. <laughs> and she's got people holding her legs back and push, push. And they're counting maybe to 10 and to hold your breath and I mean, I'm not saying it never looks that way and that can never be. Yeah, helpful. we've all been in that situation if we've totally. been attending births. Totally. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll totally get to that, that there's a range with all of this. It's not black and white. It's not yes. No, or always no, or never. Or, or always <laughs> or never. That's not what we're trying to get at. Yeah. But it's certainly trying to go beyond just that picture because that's the one I think most of us, you know, tend to just have in mind because that's, um, I don't know, the that's what Hollywood said it looks like (laughs) Um, but it's more than that and um, we're gonna dive into that so you know I was reading uh, I was reading an interview it was like the transcript of the interview from one of the founders of the Lamaze method right and she shares how she I don't remember the woman's name unfortunately um, 
but she shares that she worked in the hospital for a while and then she took a break and then she came back and when she came back everyone was being instructed to push but before she took her break that wasn't happening so there's like this marked time in history where at least in you know at least something once western context where pushing became a thing as in it wasn't always a thing like coached pushing from the outside by someone else and you know having to wait for someone else to tell you that yes you can push and this is how to do it um so i found that interesting you know the rise of the pushing the pushing paradigm <laughs> the, the discovery of 10 centimeters and therefore we must do something about it right and well what would happen right because that's that's the point once you get to 10 that's the magic number which means that your your cervix is fully dilated and open and you are now ready to push that's just what that means um even if you don't feel like pushing it is time to push. Um, and sometimes on epidurals, when you, um, in the hospital, when women get to 10 centimeters, um, in order to get the doctor there, or maybe somebody like isn't quite ready, they tend to let women um, quote unquote labor down. So the baby, um, you know, by just uterine contraction moves lower and lower into the pelvis on their own without pushing so they don't tire the woman out. And um, the problematic piece with that though is the longer a woman labors down but is not active or moving around, then um, sometimes the uterus can kind of jam the baby into a less than favorable position. So it's something to keep in mind that if you are supporting women in hospital births, that if they're 10 centimeters and they are being labored down to really um, encourage her to move every 15 or 20 minutes into a different position, not to just continue to just lay there and sleep. Um, this is the time that you can be as active as you can be in order to help baby negotiate that space, which is the tightest squeeze they'll ever have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not the always or never thing. It's if someone has an epidural, then certainly it'll be helpful for them to receive some guidance on the pushing because the whole concept of an epidural is that the feeling is numbed down. Um, you know, sometimes they really try to plan it out or time it out so that there can be some feeling by the end of pushing so that you can be a little more effective in knowing where to push. Um, but still it's the different tools that are there like squat bars and things but if yeah. you have red legs you can't really it's very difficult to support yourself right. but also even knowing like you can move the bed into a throne position and drop the floor and like hat there's still ways to negotiate moving around but the more dead leg you are the more you, the effort becomes on someone else's part to support you through that Mm hmm. Right, right. If you don't know when the contractions are happening, then certainly it'll be helpful to have someone let you know that with by looking at the monitor. Sure. Right. So there's totally a place for that to be helpful. The classic purple pushing. Right. Because there's a few different methods and we can maybe try to break those down. Um, yeah. Classic purple pushing. 
<laughs> hold your breath, bear down and, and hold for one, two, three. And then they go to like 10. Um, and push as hard as you can and take a deep breath and do it again in rounds of three. Exactly. So that's like coach pushing is a name for it. Um, yeah. It's, and that's a pretty standard one that we all see in the movies. Um, yeah. And the, so some other sides of that is, um, well, holding your breath can, you know, well, obviously you're not taking in air, so it can affect the blood flow and the oxygen flow to the baby. Um, so not always, but that can play a role in maybe if they're like the baby's heartbeats going down every time you push well you know it's like take a step back and look at the bigger picture is it really just that this baby's compromised and not doing well and not handling the labor well or is it that maybe that pushing method just just doesn't really work for this particular baby and if you didn't do it that way then maybe baby would be fine or there's just those long sustained pushes in and of itself. If you're jamming this baby into the same less than favorable position, they're also not going to, you know, where when the body naturally pushes on its own, some pushes are long, some are short, some like stutter, 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 some, you know, I mean, typically if you watch that natural curve, it'll be a stutter and then it'll be at the end of a contraction will be like a grunt and a push and then that builds and builds and builds um, as opposed to, okay, you're 10 now from here on out until this baby comes, we're going to push for 30 seconds at a time with three deep breaths, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and then we'll rotate you every, however, you know, as soon as the baby doesn't look good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you're saying there is super key because um, it just reflects this model of like we're just machines and you know just put us through the formulas right it's like just sustained pushes it's all the same same amount of time and do it exactly the same way with every contraction with no variation six percent of women that will work and then sure. you have all these other emergency c-sections for those that it didn't work for mm -hmm. you know the failure to progress or um being caught up in the pelvis you know failure to descend failure 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> right so some other implications of this coach pushing based on just someone being 10 again like listeners please remember yes there's always more context to consider here right um and circumstances surrounding what we're talking about that we ultimately can't talk about all the infinite circumstances that could be at play. So some of what we're saying, even if I'm like, that's not okay, there might be a time where it's totally okay. So, so just, just saying, <laughs> just being trying to be extra clear about that. Um, but the notion of checking somebody and saying you're 10, so now you're ready to push. Just think about that for a moment. Like, what if nobody checked? Like, what, like, how, what, like how long has she been 10? You think she became 10 exactly when she was checked and, and now all of a sudden she's ready to push. And um, so there's uh, more to consider there because someone could be 10, but maybe that baby's still kind of high up and maybe that baby's still working on rotating. So pushing on that baby 
might like you're saying jam that baby into position that's not actually optimal for trying to come out and and what baby needs is some like laboring down um now i'm talking or about the lower uterine segment just might not be fully out of the way of the baby's head just because you can't feel it in the bone space doesn't mean that it's not still cupping you know a rim or an edge of the baby's head if it's bigger at that time and hasn't done the molding to fit down through the pelvis yet mm -hmm. so you know just because you can't feel it doesn't mean it's not there and what are you doing feeling at that point anyway? <laughs> I mean, again, sometimes when people are pushing or teetering on pushing, sometimes you check. Standard model of care at the hospital is if you feel pushy or sound pushy, they want to check to make sure that they're not feeling anything. And other times, you know, they people check to check because it's something to do. And most training when it comes to birthing practices is what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Do, do, do. Mm -hmm. And even mothers get to that point and they're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine to ask for support from the people you've chosen to trust in your birth space. Sure. And they'll um, tell you, listen to your body. <laughs> hopefully I can only hope so fingers crossed that's it that's what I pray for I hope every woman gets that sort of support <laughs> and that she does want to listen to her body um but you know following that a little further with following their bodies and being told when it's time to push if someone right we talk about this all the time but it's really a, a big thing uh of sometimes someone feeling pushy in labor, but they haven't been checked yet. It hasn't been confirmed if they're 10 centimeters and thus ready to push, right? So they can't get the green light to push if they don't know where they're at. Why? Because, well, what if they're not 10 centimeters and they're pushing with a cervix that's still not fully dilated? And so if anyone does get this urge to push like spontaneously, um, often in um, like, uh, I don't know, what's the best way to call it? A medical contest. It's not always the hospital. Um, it really could be anywhere. Um, depends on who you're working with. If you start pushing, they're like, oh, well, don't push yet, right? Because you might not be complete. And then their concern is that you're pushing on an incomplete cervix and that you'll cause swelling and damage to your cervix because you're just not ready. You're not ready until somebody else checks you and gives you the green light. Um, and I can find that problematic. Again, yeah, the gray can, zone. Sometimes can, it can be helpful to check if other things are going on, right? Maybe some context does warrant checking before like you totally go for it hardcore with the pushing but not always to tell well, every woman no yeah definitely think of times where people have felt pushy here and there and not done any sort of exam and they kind of go through that little phase and then it peters out again you know or just because you feel pushy doesn't mean you need to then strongly bear down Mm -hmm. You can just let your body have that little oomph at the end of that breath or at the end of that wave. 
without having to actively push hard just because you feel pushy. Mm-hmm. And that's where it slips into the fetal ejection reflex because mm-hmm. if you just follow the lead and let your body do that in and out pushy here and there, end of contraction, end of wave thing, then eventually it builds and it builds and the builds and the baby rotates and gets down to a certain point where your body will have to eject the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's less likely to be felt when you have a baby that's asynclitic or if you have a baby that is OP, it takes a lot longer to get to that point because of the anatomy. But <laughs> not always. Um, but you'll hear stories of women saying, "Well, I never felt that." Right, right. I mean, I know in these conversations of just wait for the body, wait for the fetal ejection reflex, or wait till you feel super pushy. You know, like that doesn't apply to everyone. Not everyone will get that like crazy, unbearable, unstoppable urge to push but many will so and just because you feel pushy doesn't mean you should then go straight into coach pushing or just feel like okay now's the time I have to totally get this just because I feel a little pushy and just because you feel a little pushy and what even if it is before 10 centimeters it doesn't mean that's necessarily wrong either that might be what your body needs. That slight little, uh, uh, <laughs> like little grunt push without to help the... let go of that last little rim. Yeah, right. But so... if you do heavily bear down on that last little rim, you will likely swell. So it's just sort of those subtleties and how those subtleties matter. Mm-hmm. And it's hard matter. to, it's hard to recognize those subtleties if you do have medication on board to take away the feeling. Right. So when you do have access to all the feelings of, of labor, then you have access to those nuances, which means, right, you kind of can figure out like, oh, this feels right in my body to push in this position, but this position is not feeling right. Or, you know, I've heard so many women say, it's like, I don't know why, but I felt like I had to like get my leg into this weird twisted angle. And then when the baby came out, I, you know, he was like asynclitic or he had a hand by their head. And, you know, it's like, oh, I realized, you know, baby was trying to navigate a weird angle. And that's why I had to get into this weird position or some people are like, no, I could feel the baby trying to move on my left side, like getting very specific of what they felt internally and why they had to get into X, Y, and Z position and angle and push in a particular way that only they can know, right? It's not coach. It's just, you know, they call it like spontaneous pushing, you know, it's just the person that is birthing, um, tapping into what the body is asking for and the baby's body kneeling or squatting they feel pushy but then if they recline on their back or lay on their side they don't right so that teetering back and forth too and some people then they don't want to sit on the toilet they don't want to squat because it's so powerful that they'd rather lay 
and it's still the baby will still get deep enough to, <laughs> to want to come out yeah. And that is up to the woman how she wants it to play out. And sometimes as a support person, um, we feel it is best to suggest like maybe we should go to that space because you've been in labor for X amount of time and, you know, we don't want you to be tired. And then other times it just seems perfectly um, fine to not offer suggestion and it's it's hard you know uh, and just let the person do their own dance or if they really are tired you know like well if you lay on your side and it's less intense and you can rest a little bit then you can let your body kind of like laboring down naturally put them in the tub put them in you know um and get them to that rest so that they can build up to that push that sitting yeah on the right right it's kind of a fine line between is you know is the person getting to certain positions for the sake of kind of aversions like really trying to avoid the intensity of these other positions that really do help uh, um, her cervix dilate or is it just the fact that you know she needs different positions because the cervix doesn't dilate in a perfect circle right so it's like maybe if she gets to one side it can kind of help bring up one side and then you know it's like a little dance it's more of a I mean, it could be an oval or sometimes it's, it's just not a perfect circle, right? Yeah, so, off center, we have tilted yeah. uteruses, we have, you know, bicornic uteruses, we have, um, you know, our many people's pelvises, you know, if they're not getting chiropractic work or something else, maybe a little off, so things will dilate elliptically or off-center depending on the pressure or the way the baby's laying in the pelvis. Maybe it has nothing to do with the mother vessel. Maybe it has to do with just how the baby's laying themselves for their own comfort. So yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe how they need to even get out. I always think of the story years and years ago that you were actually in attendance at one of this, this woman's last birth but she had a really, really short cord and her other two births had gone quite quickly. And she, her labor went quickly with this third baby, but her pushing phase, like she was 10 for a super long time and never felt pushy, never felt pushy until she got into this crazy, like on her side with one leg way up. And this, I mean, all this support to help hold her body in this funny position. And then she would bear, her body would spontaneously bear down. And she had ended up having the baby with the shortest cord I'd ever seen. It was like, I don't know, like 10 inches or something. So the baby like only made it out that far mm. and basically just sat at her yoni until um, she birthed the placenta. Mm. And it was like, wow, her body was like, nope, can't release the baby until you get into this super particular position and that could have been a failure to descend had yeah. we given up but really it was like on the hindsight right a learn a lot of the learning is in the hindsight yeah and See, the being present and questioning is is the is right. how we can get to the learning <laughs> See, you don't read that stuff in the textbook there is a you get to 10 and then you push and hope for the best and you gotta the, the clock's ticking so you got two hours so good luck figuring that one out like geez okay <laughs> um like it's so straightforward but no this is the art of it the whatever the art of birthing the art of living the art of of yeah. midwifery exactly 
of having to just play around with the unique circumstances in the moment. And what I love here is it's like, you know, the reclaiming of power too, of wisdom, of woman's wisdom, of birth wisdom, uh, and, and women letting themselves just explore a place that's not so straightforward. Yeah, or letting her, even if she wants everyone there, encouraging her to like sit with her baby or I've even gone out and like looked at the stars and and like, what does this baby need? What, this, what does this mama want? You know, like trying to really channel some, some bigger intuition because, you know, it isn't always just that something is a failure too. It's just about finding the subtleties. <laughs> That, that can give you that clue of like, okay, this is what needs to happen, right? All the things that the, always the never, right? Don't lay flat on your back. But then you get that one woman that needs to be like on the cement floor, <laughs> like with her knees up yeah. and her, you know, and, and not maybe fully bearing down in that position, letting her body do it as she breathes or the complete opposite of that mm -hmm. force pushing, you know? Um, right. And allowing to explore all those things. Um, and at the same time, really encouraging her to go deep. When you push, what happens? Are you tensing up? Because it's like a Chinese finger trap. You know, you really don't want to like pull tension to push this through. It's more like kind of the more relaxed the smoother things can happen yeah. most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> right. So like back to our other podcast topic of romanticizing birth, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't want this to come across as, oh, well, they said if I just don't do anything, just breathe and labor down, I can just like the fetal ejection reflex is going to kick in and then that's it. And, and you know, sometimes that happens and then sometimes it doesn't. Okay. There's just a huge spectrum and, and what, I hope comes across in this episode is, you know, we're just trying to explore the spectrum. It's, it's not one extreme or another. It's not the purple coach pushing and it, and it's not just the fetal ejection reflex. It's not all or nothing, you know, there's like all this in between, right? <laughs> um, like and that's those not right. Give permission to explore that, those other places or try a little of both or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. um, but also very much, again, centering that mother and baby, like what, when they say, what do I do? And you say, well, what do you do? What do you yeah, do? Exactly. Because <laughs> right. here's all these stories and all this possibility. And what do you, what do you do? What do you need? What does this baby need? You know? mm -hmm. um, right. And bringing it back to that, reality that it is power we all have that power and helping her tune back in and maybe it that means that it's an epidural with coached pushing mm -hmm. and maybe that means that they're not ready to even go there mm -hmm. and and they need more assistance having that baby or maybe it is that the baby is hung up or maybe it means that it's laying in bed and letting the baby kind of ooze out. Maybe it's, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it's just waiting and waiting and waiting, even though you're 10 centimeters, 
Right. Maybe it's stepping out of the room and not just staring at the woman. So she maybe watch and maybe she doesn't need that pressure. Maybe there's someone in the room that she really doesn't feel comfortable letting go in front of her. And she's not going to say it. Uh Uh-huh. There's because she already either doesn't have words or she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings because, you know, it's your, her mother or her sister or her, her partner's mother that, you know, whoever she felt like she had to invite or a nurse that just rubbed her the wrong way or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I mean, I'm certainly thinking of one particular um, experience where, well, you know, mom just, there's things going on where she wasn't ready to have started labor that day emotionally. Um, but nonetheless, it happened. But then it was really dragged out because, you know, birth is so much more emotional and mental and psychological than it is physical, really. And in the power of the mind, it's amazing, <laughs> like so magnificent. Yeah, the um, physical part generally works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the mental piece that totally sort of jams up the tracks. Yeah, right. <laughs> And yeah, so this woman never got even an inkling of wanting to push nothing until eventually we got signs of like, you know, baby's kind of letting us know it's wanting to come out now. Um, So we had to like encourage the coach pushing. And then as soon as we did, I mean, that baby was out in like 10 minutes. It was so weird. I was like, oh, well, we should have done that hours ago. But then right where I was like trying not to tell her what to do and like waiting for her and that that balance. Right. But it was amazing how as soon as we encouraged her and like that baby came right down and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I totally remember a story of a woman uh, having her third baby and getting to the pushing stage and saying like over and over for like an hour and a half. She's like. Her history was that once she started pushing, her babies came out in like 10 minutes. Um, but for two hours, she didn't want to push. She didn't mm. like that feeling. She didn't oh. like that feeling. And that actually brings us, I think, a little bit even into the placental birth. Because I see that too, where the placenta's ready. But that reopening of the yoni or that pressure, or if there's a sting or a tear or anything in that coming through, there's that like, uh, I don't know if I like that feeling. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you said something earlier that I wanna highlight. You said it's like, let someone may be saying, I don't know if I wanna go there. Well, they might not say that, but that's essentially what's going on, right? So the point here is that there's a place that you gotta go into, right? It's the surrendering, it's kind of, might be scary it's an intense place letting yourself go there right the pushing can feel really awesome for some people they're like oh sweet relief this feels great I can finally like do something a little more active and for some people it's like whoa that feels way crazier than everything else and I'm like oh I feel like I'm gonna break open <laughs> yeah and no one wants to break open so usually you're not trying to you know, lean into that feeling. <laughs> well, and a lot of times once you hit that fetal ejection reflex too, it is that loss of control. Your body is just, it's like blinking. It's mm. like breathing. It's its a reflex. It's like puking. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's like puking, but it's, but it's a reflex that you're not familiar with, or maybe you're very familiar with it. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> because you've already had a baby or two and you remember before that being really 
you know, really powerful, like the most power that you're, you know, the most powerful muscle in the human body mm-hmm. is doing fine, fine work of bringing in your little person. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So for, I realized we kind of talked about fetal ejection reflex, um, assuming, I mean, we never said what it is. So if someone has not heard of it, it's what it sounds like. It's a reflex in the pregnant body that is, that ejects the fetus. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a pushing reflex that starts happening without any conscious effort from the woman. It like literally just starts happening and, and people sometimes are like what is going on like their body's just doing it and it might be kind of freaky because they're not doing anything but they're they really feel their body like bearing down on its own um so that's it right it's just a reflex and it just happens and it pushes the baby down and out and you see it with mammalian birth you see it in physiological birth undisturbed birth um is where it is them, you know, that's where you're going to see it. You're not necessarily going to see it with an epidural. You're not necessarily going to see it with a directed labor necessarily. Um, not again, I feel like this, we should just put the beginning of this podcast. Nothing, nothing is always or never, you know, it is, (laughs) there is, there are no blanket statements when it comes to labor, but by and large, an undisturbed birth, a mammalian birth. That's what you're going to see. A woman who is being um, trusted to follow her body. That's where you're going to see it. Yeah, exactly. It's just the reflex, the fact that that even exists and the, and the fact that like, that's not the first thing that people tend to learn about in regards to birth. And instead it's the coach pushing, it just really reflects the general power dynamics that surround birth and really our entire lives, largely in the mainstream world of like, you are micromanaged from the outside first before you understand the, the way things are without outside intervention. It's like, without outside intervention, like, mm, I'm gonna read some stuff later, but like really most, births will lead to some sort of spontaneous pushing whether it's a fetal ejection reflex or just like intuitively guided um, pushing without the reflex necessarily at play Um, but like most people will get to that Um, and sometimes people need more than that and that's fine too but I think right now we're at a place where it seems as if most people need coached pushing and that very few people could get the fetal ejection reflex or can birth their babies um, with their own spontaneous pushing. And I just, um, I really challenge that uh, intuitively, but, and from experience that I've seen um, in like mostly just uh, undisturbed or just physiological labors. Um, And, because I had that hunch just intuitively um, that most women can birth their babies without coach pushing, I ended up making that one of my um, assignments for school. And because I wanted to look into it, I'm like, have they looked into this? Is this a thing? It's totally a thing. Okay. And I, 
I made these little like highlight things and I want to read some little bulletins before we totally get into the placenta thing. Um, just because I was actually amazed by how much information and research there is out there regarding like pushing variations. There's a lot of studies actually about pushing. So I'm going to read these bullets. If you want to know my sources, you can like email us and we can talk about it. But just know I, I did find resources for this. So this isn't just my opinion. <laughs> um, so this is drawing from a few different articles that I compiled here. So in terms of constructed pushing, um, oh, where did it go? Sorry, I'm looking at my phone. Okay. So um, it is associated with the risk of perennial tearing, long and short-term bladder issues, impaired pelvic floor function, um, an increased risk of fetal heart rate decelerations, known to cause hypoxia, right? Where it's like cutting off the oxygen to baby. And thus why you might see fetal heart rate decelerations increase, um, right? It does decrease uterine blood flow, which is thus decreasing placenta blood flow, right? Hence fetal blood flow. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So those are the main points there. And then in terms of spontaneous pushing, and yes, these articles kind of define spontaneous pushing in a few different ways, but ultimately it was like minimal coach coaching going on. Um, but that was associated with uh, less fetal heart rate decelerations, better maternal pel pelvic blood flow, and fetal oxygenation. And there was a lot of testing of cord blood after the babies were born, um, associated with better newborn transition into extrauterine life, tends to lead to the fetal ejection reflex, right, which we talk about not always, but often. Um, maternal exhaustion not reached as quickly. And that's actually something we should totally talk about because part of what they found in a lot of these studies too was when it was just spontaneous pushing, like it tended to be, um, well, there's a lot of talk about like how long you can push. We haven't talked about that at all, actually. So maybe we'll get back to that so I can finish reading this little list. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to also talk about well, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, it's like two more <laughs> points. So, so right, um, making space for spontaneous pushing to happen is not associated with negative health effects. So, right, if you're in a position where like you're 10 centimeters, it's go ahead and push. Like, well, hold on, I don't want to push yet. You know, it's like there aren't any associated risks with, you know, just letting yourself do it spontaneously by and large, right? Um, yeah, you get to be in tune. And yeah, perennial traumas are decreased. So there's all this talk about like the cervix having to dilate, but what's often left out of the conversation is the fact that like, well, Jamie, you were saying it earlier, right? It's like the cervix got, has to go further up, but also the vaginal wall space, which, you know, you've got the bladder in front as well. Like all of that also has to like open up and push out of the way and move. And like that takes time as well. So if you're forcing the baby to come through there when it's not ready to, or faster than it would otherwise, then you could cause more trauma to those tissues. And also, you know, vaginal tearing 
happening more often with coach pushing makes sense as well because then it's not the woman being in tune with what her body is saying is okay it's you know it's just forcing things um so so yeah i really hope that didn't come across like polarizing it's just like that's generally just information out there in lots of different articles um one study found Sorry, last one. <laughs> one study found 83% of women birth their babies via spontaneous pushing uh, when, you know, again, they were given the opportunity to not be coached from the outside. So, so it, I mean, it's a thing. There's totally a case for spontaneous pushing, which just isn't the norm. Um, I guess maybe I'm here to hope it becomes a little bit more of a norm. <laughs> um, so yeah, pushing, you wanted to go jump into something about that? I was just going to say that, you know, all those tissues and the blood flow and things getting out of the way, you know, um, and how, again, with more um, intuitive birthing practices or instead of coached or directed um, birthing practices of like, okay, you've met this check mark. So now you can move on to this next, like you can level up to the next thing, right? Like early labor, active labor, stage two, po you know, um, what I also find is that when you just sort of let things flow, that even if she has a short labor or if she has a long labor, the transition happens and then right at the very end, right before she's fully dilated or maybe she is fully dilated, but that last little bit, the contractions tend to often slow again and space out, but they're strong. And so it's almost as if the body naturally will give that break and so the mother can recharge so the blood can like recirculate to the tissues and things can realign and reorganize so it's almost as if there's this great pause that the body naturally will go into to allow those next things to happen without being told that they need to be that they need to happen um and i think that you can also speak to that that more often than not there is that pause and then that leads into how long can you push what does pushing really have to look like just because you start pushing does that mean you have to keep pushing or are there pauses and breaks in those phases you know do cervical lips sneak back in depending on the position you're in and the only way to know that is to to feel or that suddenly she doesn't feel like pushing anymore she's just pushing because she thinks she has to push because i started pushing Mm hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up, actually, that the calm before the pushing, right? Because, right, there's like the phases of labor. And it's like, well, one ends and the other one begins, right? Or it, sometimes there might be this idea that there's just a seamless connection between them all. But we're totally skipping out on that little pause that you know, not everyone's gonna get, right? Cause it's not all or nothing, but, or always or never, but some people do get that little pause. Like, okay, they made it to 10 and the body just like, 
slows down. Maybe they don't have as many contractions for like, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20 or maybe it's an more. hour. She takes a nap. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. One contraction every 15 minutes for an hour. Totally. And then she wakes up, like you said, the contractions are like way strong. And now like the body's ready to bring this baby down and out. It just like, all right, we made it to 10. We're taking a break. We're taking a breather, recharge, you take a nap, <laughs> get ready for action. Um, but that part totally gets skipped. If somebody comes in checks and says, okay, you're 10. So you must start pushing because you're obvious because you're ready. That's what that means. Um, and yeah, so it's just interrupting the physiological process, right? Or the opposite of that, of like your body is spontaneously pushing and you have a cervical lip or something because somebody checked and they're like, don't push. Mm-hmm. Or there's an agenda beyond that says don't push because someone's not there or I need to check or whatever, right? And then that stutter of like following your intuition and then thinking something's wrong or that permission needs to be granted or whatnot, but-, but. Well, that's, that's messing with people's connection with themselves, their confidence as a woman, as a human, as a mother, like going into parenting, like being responsible to raise a human. And you're like, okay, my body's saying to do this, but then someone outside of you is like, no, you're not ready to push. You can't push yet. That's like, oh, okay. I guess I'm wrong. I, I don't really know, I guess. <laughs> or you're 10 centimeters, like start pushing. Well, I don't feel like pushing, but it, but you should push. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, it can go on either side of that story. And instead of just listening to that mother because of what you said, then how does that play out in the aftermath of being questioned when you feel really true and then someone telling you, I know better. Yeah. And sometimes the experience, sometimes your care providers do but it's about not know better, but have a different perspective. So even that of like having a conversation or asking what's the rush or why can't I push my body's just doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to have those conversations, which is why it's important to choose a care provider that sees you as a participant in your care as opposed yeah. to someone who's just a consumer. <laughs> exactly. So, right. It's like it, some, you can in fact trust people to be in tune with themselves. And that's not usually where the medical paradigm is coming from as far as trusting and respecting people's own agency, um, for whatever terrible reason. Um, there's one other thing that we've sort of talked about, but I really want to talk about timing and because like how long is it okay to push? Um, And I mean, there's no clear cut answer to it. I think if you've been listening to us in this podcast and and, or in any of our episodes, I think that's what we always come back to. Like there's a gray zone, nothing's an always or never thing. It's life is not a formula. Neither is birth. Um, so it, everything is circumstantial. 
you know, what's okay for one mom is not okay for the next. So it depends. Um, but that That's is why not choice matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's why choice matters, right? And having a system or a model of care that is respectful of your own autonomy um, for you to decipher everything out for yourself and decide for yourself. Um, but that's not what the, um, what do you, let's see, the contemporary um, mainstream and like most common model of care for birth says. They do think that there is a clear cut limit uh, that should be, you know, the parameters of pushing should be like, I don't know, what have you heard, like three hours? I know it depends on certain doctors too. Like every, they all yeah. kind of do it a little differently, but. Med medical model of care, what I have noticed is averages three to four hours before the failure to descend or failure or to descend or failure to progress um, gets put in the chart um, and doesn't. And, and I also though find that typically in hospital too, it's like once you start pushing that's that next phase and there is no stopping there is no pausing there is no waiting at that point but you're just pushing you're pushing you're pushing mm -hmm. and so um i've of course had variances of that over time i've seen variances of that over time but um but generally speaking, that's the expectation is that people are really watching the clock. And it's usually just a nurse. You have a nurse, if, if anyone in the room, sometimes everybody leaves and they're like, just keep pushing and they leave and, you know, or the doctor might check in and then leave and go do stuff and come back. Um, you know, home is different. And again, it just depends on like licensure laws of what they're allowed to support, how long you're allowed to push at home, what that pushing phase looks like. Because I would say that I've seen the situations where women start pushing and they push off and on for an hour or two. And then we're like, just don't push anymore. We're going to put you in the bathtub or we're going to like take a walk, <laughs> pants on, let's go take a walk, you know, and no woman wants to do that when she's thinks she's 10 centimeters and has been pushing mm -hmm. for two hours, but um, like I'm pushing, isn't the baby coming? And it's disheartening to think that, that that's gonna shift now and we're not gonna push anymore, but just being, and that's where that thing about your, you know, like sometimes your care provider will have a suggestion that sounds outlandish. Um, sometimes it's surgery, sometimes it's a walk. Both sound kind of outlandish when that's not your plan. <laughs> Um, and then, and usually there's some resistance to a walk, like I said, but, um, but thinking about that, that, that sometimes you start pushing because your body is spontaneously pushing, but then you have to ask like, well, am I pushing because I feel pushy or am I pushing because that's what I think I need to be doing? Or has that feeling kind of gone away? because I can also see how women get a little bit bearing down here and there as their baby gets into position and then that pushy feeling goes away. Yeah, S sort of random comment on pushing. I've heard of some traditional uh, practice um, in some communities uh, 
and unfortunately I'm not totally sure where it's just like something I've heard floating around and I've heard it a few times to kind of think like oh maybe that's really a thing where women in labor are encouraged to push um, like all almost the whole labor or just way earlier than than when they're just complete Um, and I'm not I've, that's not something I've seen. I'm not saying that's something that's like common. Um, I think that's like in some small villages somewhere around the world. Um, and I don't know, I just wanted to mention that randomly because like, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to my brain um, and my understandings of physiological birth. But um, what do I know? Maybe there's something to that. I don't know, maybe you're listening and you know something about that practice. But I don't know, I just wanted to mention that random thing I've heard. <laughs> I would even say that I could, I've heard women talk about, well, I just kind of feel like I'm putting a little pressure into my deep breathing, mm. like down, you know, so they're not pushing, <laughs> actively pushing, but they are like putting that, like that downward pressure, right? Ah. At the end of their breath. Um, that's, I've heard women say that they're doing that, but it doesn't, you can't necessarily see it, but I have had women express that that's what felt good or right was to like breathe it down. And maybe this insight from anonymous village somewhere around the world is some misinterpretation (laughs) of what they're actually doing. It might be something like that. Um, and you know how things morph through the telephone game. Um, so maybe it's some variation of that, actually. It's more subtle than it's like they're not purple face pushing the whole labor. because That really doesn't seem to make sense. So maybe it's something like that. Um, so yeah, um, the time limit stuff. Yeah, there tends to be some like three, four-ish hour limit before most practitioners tend to be like, "Mm, I think it's time for um, instruments, Um, whether it's like a vacuum or forceps or if the baby's doing fine, if not, they they might, right? And it depends on like what, how much progress there's been, is baby in the same position, is baby lower, has anything changed, right? All that can factor into what they think is best next. How's baby heart rate been doing? Is it time for surgery? Um, so there's so much to consider, um, but I, I know that part of the fear is that there's some associations with a long pushing phase and poor outcomes, whether it's true or not, that's kind of like the concern um, that they're trying to avoid. It's baby or mother bleeding mm. is usually the two main concerns. Uh-huh. Right. Compromise. Um, for oxygenation or being tired uh-huh right. mother uterus being tired and therefore not cramping right right and you know in, in all those articles I looked into of like coach versus spontaneous none of the ones that I looked at actually factored in bleeding that was not something that they paid attention to and now I'm so curious to keep digging and see if any of them have compared that um i don't know um but what one thing i did find was i'm literally going to read off my notes again real quick um but that studies show second stage can be shortened with coach pushing 
Um, right. So that's like one of the main arguments for it. Um, but maybe, you know, time is money. Right. Right. I'm like, well, do we need to be aiming for shorter? Is that really always best? Right. We're in a society where it's like bigger, faster is always better, but like, is it? Well, is it if maybe it shortens the time, but if it puts you or your baby at higher risk for, and even if it's just a smaller, higher risk, that is again, like that's up to the mother to decide if that's a risk she's willing to take versus just letting the pushing take the time that it needs to take. Exactly. So, so some general consensus did seem to show that that spontaneous pushing might lead to like a longer second stage, right? Which second stage starts at 10 centimeters because beyond 10 centimeters, that's technically just the pushing phase. But like we said, just because you're 10 centimeters doesn't mean you should be pushing nonstop all the way until your baby's here. Um, so second stage might be longer, but people tended to have a shorter active pushing phase. And it's an elongated active pushing phase that's associated with poor newborn outcomes that they're concerned about, right? So if you're not, one thing is to be in second phase or, you know, 10 centimeters for six hours, but only pushing two hours. Um, And another thing is pushing, especially like purple face coach pushing for six hours. That's different. Right. And we'll have a different impact on mom and baby or can. Um, so, so yeah, you know, juggling all these different pieces when deciding what's best at any given moment um, for any mom and baby. Um, yeah. The time and limit's the, just a big thing that comes up. That you'll get is depending on the model of care that you choose. Right. So, if you, uh, and, and that also has a wavering line because the model of care that you choose is largely dictated by some hierarchical power. Um, but typically hospital will either bring out instruments or give a really strict rounded out time frame that's appropriate before they call it, um, regardless of whether you and the baby are doing well or not. Um, and it's the same with placental birth, which we can talk about too, because there's a time limit on that. And then if you are at home with a licensed professional, they may also have a window of what they're allowed to do or a comfort level of what they're allowed to do, um, based on their training. Um, but they will often suggest other things besides just calling it Bill like said, put your pants on and make you go for a walk or put you in a tub or do things to sort of shift it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so that's, that's a good amount on the pushing and I don't know if we're going to get to the placenta stuff today because <laughs> that can be its own hour or more. It's true. Well, in short, there's also no real time limit on that. (laughs) But some people might make you think there is. 
Yes. <laughs> and again, it depends on what you see and what's going on. And um, the best physiological support for that is to fall back, don't disrupt and let the body do what it needs to do. Let the mother meet her baby. Oh, and man. Well, that's so hard because they rarely do that in, in, you know, most conventional models of care of like, hold back and let mom and baby hang out and let physiology do its thing, right? I mean, I had a an amazing couple um, that I was blessed to serve and and they were trying to have this conversation with their care provider in the hospital of wanting, you know, very delayed cord clamping, you know, beyond the minute or two that the hospital considers delayed cord clamping. Um, and then also like, like let the like I don't pull the placenta like we wanted untouched as much as possible and the nurse was like well I've never seen a placenta take longer than four minutes and their response was gold they're like well that's because you guys never let it take more than four minutes <laughs> right so it's just like of course you're never going to see that realm of possibility with physiology if you're constantly actively micromanaging it you don't know what the realm of possibility is um, and what can be normal and safe and okay if you were told that four minutes is the limit of safety um, and you believe that then, you know, then sure, that's a parameter you've made up in your mind, but that doesn't mean that that's actually reflective of what's truth to anatomy and physiology. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I guess going into the hospital, folks should know that what's the typical model that they'll get with pushing is like coached pushing. Um, although I've totally seen OBs, you know, be awesome about other variations too, right? No blanket statements. Um, but generally it's the coach pushing and with the placenta births, it's generally active management um, and getting it out within minutes, unless 30 minutes is, is typical hospital limit 30 minutes before they go in and get it. Uh-huh. It's here. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've also seen them be, you know, pretty respective or respectful of when people are like, no, really like stay hands off of me and my placenta. Um, you know, I, I've seen some very amazing, um, hospital staff in that regard too. Um, but you know, it, you got to have the conversations if you want things to look any different usually, or, you know, just being involved in your care and, and your process of your body and your baby, um, and birth. So, so that you kind of know what you're walking into and what the spectrum of possibilities can be like. Um, and, and kind of how to advocate for yourself too. So is there anything else you wanted to, to share about pushing placentas and all that? Um, no, I think, you know, like you said, that's probably a whole podcast within another <laughs> Because we promised it at the beginning, I wanted to give a little like exclamation point about it at the end, you know that that also takes time. And as long as there's not active bleeding and, you know, holding the space to allow for that. I mean, how many women have we seen deliver their own placentas 
Sometimes we help with traction. Sometimes we don't help with traction. Sometimes we encourage them to put their own traction. Sometimes we tell them to just get in a different position or a lot of times getting back into the position that the baby was born in or Mm -hmm. just doing downward pressure on the tops of the shoulders, you know? So again, some women don't want to be touched and some people like a little guidance and finding that space and, um, and letting the women know too, that it's okay to ask, right. That moment of like, I don't know what to do mm-hmm. that happens. And it's mm-hmm. okay for you to look for that support from those who you've chosen to, to do that for you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and know that even that it's not really about brain knowing it's, it's about body wisdom. Um, all of it, you know, yeah. If you if you really look internally, there's there are answers in there. They might not always like be super bright and easy to tap into, um, especially if that's not your practice. But mm-hmm. but it's there. We all have inner wisdom. Indeed, we do, and it's uh, you know I find it's really a conscious choice to choose to tap into that to recognize it and to decide I'm going to practice that because it is a practice as well. And like any other muscle, like you have to exercise it to strengthen it. And if you don't exercise it, then, you know, it's there, but it might not be all that strong. Um, So we do have to practice it. And the more you do, the easier it is to tap into it as well. So, um, you know, if it doesn't feel super strong, your intuition, then that's okay. Um, you know, if we're not used to tapping into those things, uh, it might feel foreign. And some people might wonder, like, I don't know if I have an intuition. It's like, I guarantee you, you do. We were all born with them. We were all born with access to it. And we live in a weird world where sometimes it, it gets buried under a bunch of other stuff. Um, but it's there. So, um, we can uncover it and tap into it and practice it in so many ways. And we hope you do. We hope you do. Um, yeah, the placenta thing, we'll totally have another episode on it because I don't want to rush so many things of it. Um, I just- Because we don't rush, there's no time limit. <laughs> there's no time limit. There isn't. So just- We can make a million you know. podcasts if we want. <laughs> <laughs> right? It might not be the next podcast episode. It might be a few episodes from now before we get back to the placenta, but we will. It's important. And really that's, that's a big part of it. It, I want to increase the awareness and just the conversations that are had about the placentas because it's often just like neglected, like whatever, no one cares about the ugly placenta. We got this cute baby, like whatever, get that thing out of (laughs) here. It's gross, whatever. It's out. Great. Awesome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's often just like left in the shadows of the birth conversations. So we're bringing it to the light in some episode eventually <laughs> i love that i love yeah. that it does come out into the light too it does right it's in darkness and then it eventually comes into the light <laughs> exactly all righty well thank you all for being here with us digitally on this woman on fire platform we're grateful to share it with you and we would love to hear from you with questions thoughts or maybe a desire yeah. to be here with us. Tell us your push stories. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that would be great. 
So you can <laughs> reach out to us via email at womenonfirepodcast at gmail.com. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and all right, friends, until next time. Aloha.